0: Hi, welcome to Bookie. To unlock more world-class bestseller, please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. You will get seven days free trail with more features. Today we'll unlock the book Nonviolent Communication, A Language of Life. We communicate with others every day. If we pay closer attention to the ways we talk and our feelings towards various ways of having a conversation we'll realize that some words can be extremely harmful. For example, there are verbal denials, rude interruptions, and casual judgments. Now the book Nonviolent Communication, a language of life will teach us a new way of communication, allowing us to avoid such harm and get more love and happiness for others and ourselves. Marshall Rosenberg once presented on nonviolent communication at a Moskheadish refugee camp in Bethlehem. The audience consisted of about 170 Palestinian Muslim men. Palestinian views toward Americans at that time were not favorable. As he was speaking, the audience started to whisper that Rosenberg was American. A man even leapt to his feet and yelled to Rosenberg, Murderer assassin! Immediately, rage rose in the entire group. Rosenberg recalled that on the way into the refugee camp, he had seen several empty tear gas canisters that had been shot into the camp, with inscriptions reading Made in USA. So Rosenberg addressed that man, so you're furious, and would appreciate some support in improving your living conditions and gaining political independence? The man said, do you know what it's like to live here for 27 years the way I have with my family, children and all? Have you got the faintest idea what that's been like for us? Tell me, do you have children? Do they go to school? Do they have playgrounds? My son is sick. He plays in open sewage. His classroom has no books. Have you seen a school that has no books? Rosenberg responded, I hear how painful it is for you to raise your children here. Their conversation then continued for about 20 minutes, and Rosenberg listened to the man's feelings and needs behind each statement. Gradually, the man was able to hear Rosenberg as he explained his purpose for being at the camp. An hour later, he even invited Rosenberg to his home for a Ramadan dinner. You see, a seemingly inevitable and huge conflict was resolved. This is the power of the new way of communication explained in the book Nonviolent Communication, A Language of Life. The protagonist of the previous story, The American psychologist Marshall Rosenberg was the author of this book. For his outstanding contribution to the promotion of peace and harmony among people, he received the Bridge of Peace Nonviolence Award from the Global Village Foundation in 2006. Dr. Rosenberg was a student of the renowned psychologist Carl Rogers, and later on developed the influential principles and methods of nonviolent communication. He taught people how to live a more harmonious life, and also solved many disputes and conflicts worldwide. UNESCO listed this way of communication as one of the best practices of nonviolent resolution in formal or informal education worldwide. It can eliminate people's hidden traces of psychological violence, and allow them to express their affection naturally. Coming up next, we'll unlock the book in three parts. Part 1, Types of Violent Communication Part 2, Benefits of Nonviolent Communication And Part 3, Using the Four Components of Nonviolent Communication First, let's examine different types of violent communication. The most common violent communication pattern in our lives is the use of moralistic judgments. As we need to interact with others in our daily lives, we tend to make moralistic judgments subconsciously if their behavior isn't in line with our values. The Sufi poet Rumi once wrote, out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field, I'll meet you there. Unfortunately, it's hard for most people not to judge. Language always gets us into trouble, as it always leads us to categorize people, like good guys versus bad guys, wise men versus fools. We are also used to expressing our thoughts verbally. Whenever we encounter someone or something we dislike, we make accusations. For example, when we don't want to do our homework, we might accuse our teacher, she is so mean, how could she give us so much homework? And when a colleague pays great attention to details, we always think to ourselves, he's such trouble. Why are we so inclined to make moralistic judgments? It's because we care too much about ourselves and ignore the feelings and needs of others. When our needs cannot be satisfied, we then blame others and the verbal violence intentional or not inevitably damages our interpersonal relationships. Everyone has his or her own opinions, but we can't confuse value judgments with moralistic judgments, and neither should we impose our values on others. For example, we surely appreciate honesty and freedom, and we also know that violence is wrong, but we must not blame others easily. Instead, we should use the language of love to express our values. For example, we can say, I am fearful of the use of violence to resolve conflicts. I value the resolution of human conflicts through other means. We ought to consider others' feelings and needs more when we communicate, and then it won't be difficult to make non-violent communication. Besides moralistic judgments, there is another type of violent communication that can be seen everywhere in our daily lives, which is making comparisons. We need to be able to get along with people, and oftentimes we make casual comparisons. Like when we are with someone slim, we might compare our body shapes subconsciously. Making frequent comparisons, however, tends to make us deny ourselves more and prevents us from appreciating others' merits, which can make us upset. It's obvious that communication based on comparisons cannot be very effective, and it reduces our ability to feel love and happiness in life. Besides making comparisons, We often avoid our responsibilities as well. We can always find a variety of reasons to pretend to others and ourselves. The following dialogues might sound familiar. Why did you clean the room? Because I had to. Why do you always drink? Because I'm alcoholic. Why did you cheat the customers? Because my boss asked me to. Why do you smoke? Because all my friends smoke. We seem to believe that such expressions can lessen our sense of responsibility, but in fact, it's deliberately irresponsible to say things like this. Dr. Rosenberg once consulted for a school district, and a teacher remarked, I hate giving grades. I don't think they are helpful, and they create a lot of anxiety on the part of students. But I have to give grades, it's the district policy. Hearing this, Rosenberg suggested that the teacher translate her statement to an expression that would heighten her sense of responsibility. And she said without hesitation, I choose to give grades because I want to keep my job. Obviously, the latter statement had a higher sense of responsibility. She didn't like to say it that way, only because it made her feel responsible for what she was doing. That's why I want you to do it that way, Rosenberg replied. It's unavoidable that every one of us has to do things we don't like from time to time. When we do those things, we tend to use language that shuns our responsibility. And why do we deny our responsibility subconsciously? Because taking responsibility is tiresome, and language that denies it can make life easier for us. However, if the denial of responsibility becomes a habit for a long time, Then we will be less at ease and carry an even heavier psychological burden. At this time, we give up on our initiatives, and others impose their will on us. Things we're forced to do will just make us feel more upset. So, we should think about how we avoid our responsibilities. As pointed out in the book, we are dangerous when we are not conscious of our responsibility for how we behave, think, and feel. At last, an even more unacceptable way of communication exists, which is making demands. We have many social roles in our lives. As part of our own commitment to being a good friend, we hope our friends can be by our sides unconditionally when we are in need. As a manager, we expect employees to follow our orders. As a teacher, we expect students to be disciplined in class. When our expectations fail, we tend to take a hard line and demand that others give way. Most of the time, however, this can only be counterproductive. Let's take this example. Jack and Jane are two good friends. Jack says to Jane, I'm lonely and would like you to spend the evening with me. Jane replies, Jack, I'm really tired. If you'd like some company, how about finding someone else to be with you this evening? And then Jack remarks, How typical of you to be so selfish. Here, Jack is obviously making an unreasonable demand only to satisfy his own need, and with no consideration for Jane's need for a rest. In this situation, the communication between the two may not end well, and their friendship may even break up. We often expect others to follow our instructions, but we seldom consider their feelings. Once we take the perspective of someone on the sidelines, we can easily see that making demands can not only be ineffective but also worsen personal relationships. Our first part ends here. In this part, we have talked about different types of violent communication. The first one is making moralistic judgments. Then, there is making comparisons. The third one is denying one's responsibility, and the last one is making demands. These ways of violent communication not only fail to get us desired outcomes, but also make our communication even worse. So, can the non-violent communication advocated in this book make our communication more effective? Today we are just sharing Limited Bookie. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller, please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. You will get 7 days free trail with more features.